Jesus Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ, God's son. We actually become a bride that he cherishes and rejoices in. Again, the way a young man would rejoice in the, the woman that he marries. Several times I've quoted Isaiah 62, 5 to you, which parallels with this. It says, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, just like that, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now, last week we looked at the first five verses of chapter 7 where he praises, where our Lord Jesus represented here, praises our beauty as the church that he has redeemed. He used a number of figures that, that we looked at in, in detail as they speak of our relationship with him as our God. He spoke of our beautiful feet, referring to the walk that we have, walking in ways that please him, walking in obedience to him, and a beautiful way or manner of walking when he spoke about our thighs that uh, are, are lovely as well. And then he, we, we spoke about the navel representing our affections that we have. This is the area where the Jews looked at the, uh, as the seat of the affections. And that it was like a blended beverage there, mixed, a mixture of things that were lovely. The belly that's like wheat that gives solid nourishment. The breasts that represent both the giving of our love to him and the nourishing of his and our children. The neck that was like an ivory tower that we said was, was a thing of beauty for the bride. It was a figure that was used not because somebody has a neck that really does look like an ivory tower. I don't think that would necessarily be a very nice thing. But that it, it describes the characteristic of one who, does, who looks only toward Christ and is not easily swayed away from him to turn this way and that way after every other lover that comes along. That kind of a thing. And then we talked about the... Um, uh, the eyes that are deep and clear, pure like pools of Heshbon, the sincerity of the bride of Christ that he delights in, the nose that's like a, a watchtower, jealous to keep watch over anything that would come to disrupt our relationship with the Lord. It said a tower looking toward Damascus. That was where their enemies were in Syria in the time of Solomon. And they had a watchtower there to, to keep guard. And the, the whole idea that um, there, there's a, a carefulness because of our love for the Lord. He delights in that. And then sniffing out the, the evil that would be there. And then there is the head of purple hair. With purple hair is symbolic of royalty that rises up like beautiful Mount Carmel. Where once we would have hung our head in shame because of our sin and our guilt, but then being redeemed and pardoned by Christ, then the bride of Christ now has her head lifted up. Truly a prince's daughter, as he calls her in, that, in those first five verses, a woman of noble and beautiful character in his eyes. We went over all this in detail last week, so I won't go into all that, uh, that we covered. Today we pick up from there at verse six, where he speaks of, our desire, how desirable we are to him. He, he speaks of having, having spoken about these characteristics that we have. Now in these verses we're looking at this week, he talks about how that makes us very desirable to him. So give attention. This is God's word. Song of Solomon, chapter seven, beginning in verse six. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love with your delights. 
This stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breast like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breast be like clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. The, the wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Thanks be to the Lord for his holy word. We'll end the reading of God's word at that point. If you look back at the end of the previous section, where he was listing out all those characteristics that I just reviewed a minute ago, you can see how that section wraps up with the comment, the assertion, that he says he is captivated by the tresses of his bride. Remember that we who believe in Christ as he is offered in the gospel are his bride. So that's why I say we, because the church that believes, that is the bride of Christ. So if we're those who believe the gospel, Christ as he's revealed in the gospel and trust in him for salvation, we make up that one bride that has many members. So he is saying here that our beauty as his redeemed people is so pleasing to him that he can't leave us. He's captivated by that. We have a hold on him that cannot be broken. His desire to be with us is too strong for him to go away. That's a pretty strong statement. Today we're going to look at three things from verses 6 through 9 that speak of his strong desire for us. We'll begin with verses 6 and 7 where he tells us that We are the object of his desire. He simply states that very plainly. And then we'll look at the first half of verse 8, where he tells us that he will embrace us the way a husband embraces his wife. And lastly, we'll look at the rest of verse 8 and verse 9, where he pronounces a blessing on us to enhance the time in which we are in his embrace. Okay, so we, of course, those things are said in a spiritual way. They're not in a physical way. We're not thinking of carnal things. We're using physical things like in marriage to represent the spiritual relationship we have with the Lord. That's what the Song of Solomon is all about. So make sure that we understand that as we get into this. Let's begin then with the first point. In verse 6 and 7, he tells us that we are the object of his desire. He simply tells us how attractive we are to him here. He begins, how fair and how pleasant you are. Fair and pleasant. Those are pretty much synonyms, really, though pleasant refers more to the inward disposition and the um, and fair to the outward. We, we've seen these words used together in the Song of Solomon back in chapter one, verse 16. Fair means beautiful or lovely and pleasant carries the idea of that which is agreeable in the sense of knowing how to please, that we please him, we're pleasant. Uh, He strengthens his declaration that we are fair and pleasant by adding the words, O love with your delights. The word love used here as often refers to sexual love or emotional love shared between a man and a woman. It speaks of, again, an attraction and a desire for the one that is loved. The term delights, likewise, often refers to erotic pleasure 
found in tender love. Sometimes it refers to luxurious pleasure as well, like things, pleasures that would be suited for a king. So the Son of God is telling us that he has a passionate desire for us, not unlike the desire that a man has for his wife. He is illustrating his love with that kind of love. Now, in verse 7, it's as though he takes them a step back to look at all that we are before him, okay, in a composite, a broader view of us. He has spoken in the first five verses of the individual parts, but then he backs up and looks at the whole composition, if you will, the whole of his bride. He says, the stature, this stature of yours is like a palm tree and your breast like its clusters. This stature of yours, that refers to a view of us from the, we would say, normally say head to toe, but it's actually toe to head in the case that uh, the order that was done in uh, those first five verses. But stature, what does that word? That refers to our height, the whole of us from the from the foot to the head. So it includes all of us at once. And by saying this stature, what stature? The stature that he was just talking about in those first five verses. He seems to be pointing to that, what he's already spoken about, those qualities that he, he described. So he sees them all blended together in a harmonious way that is very attractive. He uses the image of a palm tree to describe our stature. Apparently a date palm here. Beautiful women were often said in the ancient literature of the East to look like a palm tree in the poetry that was used. Uh, They were beautiful and slender, well-proportioned, straight and tall, always green, flourishing like a palm tree, resilient and fruitful. He finds everything in its place. All of our graces or qualities that he had described before are beautifully joined together and arranged, each member in its place. So, for example, there's not an eye that's over on the shoulder and another one that's in the head. That would be, you could have all beautiful eyes and everything, but they wouldn't look right if they were mixed around and all out of place. So the idea that everything is where it should be. The breasts are described particularly as like clusters of the palm tree. That's the fruit, the the date palm, the the fruit that would be on the tree that hangs below the branches up at the top where you have the palm tree with the with the branches coming out. And then you have the the cluster of of dates that is underneath that. Now, it's wonderful and even surprising to have our Lord speak of us like this. We know what we're like. We know where we have come from, and we know how far short we still come. He knows that too, more than we do. When he found us, he described us like this in Ezekiel 16, verse 3 through 9. Now, let me say these words in Ezekiel 16. They use the same kind of figures, talking about us as a woman that the Lord came to and he found, took to be his own wife eventually, and then she ended up committing adultery in this case. But listen to these words, Ezekiel 16, 3. This is what we're, we're like, and we know that this is what we're like in ourselves. He says, th- it says, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. 
So like Abraham, he came from the, the Jews, at least say that his dad was an idol worshiper. As for your nativity, on the day that you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling claws. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day that you were born. So it's a pitiful condition here. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field and you grew, matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord. So, so there was a marriage here. There was a covering because we were defiled and we were polluted. So he washed us. He cleansed us from our sins. Jesus died on the cross for us, of course. And then he wrapped us with the robe of righteousness, clothing us from our, our nakedness and shame. And then he entered into the covenant with us, taking us as his own bride. He says, then I washed you with water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. Speaking of the working of the Holy Spirit, always described as the washing of, with water by, as the Holy Spirit works in us, washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, and the oil, anointing with oil often represents the Holy Spirit as well. All that we are as his bride, we are, we have become only by his powerful grace that transforms us. We're nothing. Like Jesus, like we read that Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. You can't bear any fruit whatsoever unless you're in the vine. That it all comes from Christ. And we're told that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us to transform us. The, the power that raised him from the dead is at work in us to make us holy in his sight. To wash us, he had to go to the cross that we might receive pardon by his death and suffering. He had to impute or credit his righteousness to us because we didn't have any righteousness. We were condemned. We were sentenced to eternal punishment. And yet here, when Christ took us to be his bride, then his righteousness was credited to us so that we took his status as righteous as opposed to those that were under condemnation. He also had to wash us, as he mentioned, by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the spirit. He saw us defiled. He said, live. He caused us who are dead in our sins to be alive. And now by his sanctifying work of the spirit, he continues to transform us into a bride. And this is where it comes from, that he finds very lovely, very desirable, very attractive. As we have seen in the song elsewhere, we are his garden. And as a master gardener, he continues to bring forth in us more and more fruit and makes us more and more pleasing and delightful to him. So you see that here he is telling us that we are the object of his desire. 
Now, I know it's hard to fathom how we could be the object of his desire when we're sinners before a holy God. All of our flaws and our sins, even after we have been converted and washed and so on, we still have sin in our life. But you see, these sins are all pardoned by the blood shed on the cross. That the, the delight that he has in us is in the new life that he is forming in us. Not in the corruption, the remaining corruption that's passing away, but in the new life that is coming. The scripture is full of talk about this. It says that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. It says that the old things have passed away and all things have become new. It says that we were buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. It says that our hearts have been circumcised, that we who are unclean are now holy in his sight, that we who are in rebellion now keep his law, that we who could not love now love, that before we could not love at all. But he who loves is born of God because he's trusting in Jesus Christ. He's got life in Christ. He's bringing forth fruit that God delights in. Even the very beginnings of this fruit is pleasing to him because he knows that it will grow to perfection. It is the evidence that we have life. Like as soon as you see a little plant coming up from a seed, you know that that plant has life. And what is the potential of that plant? It's going to grow and it's going to bear fruit. It makes us desirable, highly desirable to him because it's his work with a desire so strong that the best way to describe it is by comparing it with the desire that a young man has for the woman that he marries. He tells us in verse 8 that he will embrace us with his love. So that's the next thing we want to look at. Seeing that he takes delight in us, that he's pleased with us. Now we see that he promises or declares that he is going to embrace us in his love. He uses very colorful language here. Having just described us as a palm tree that he greatly desires, he tells us that he's going to climb his palm tree. He's going to climb the tree and take hold of its branches. The words are, verse 8, I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Now, those who tended palm trees would, would climb up the tree both to pollinate the date clusters and to harvest them. This is what the Net Bible, NET Bible says. A Palestinian palm grower, palm tree grower, would climb a palm tree for two reasons. To pluck the fruit, that's the first reason. Second reason, to pollinate the female palm trees. Because of their height, the height of the fruit on the tree, and because the dates would not naturally fall off the tree, the only way to harvest dates from a palm tree is to climb the tree and pluck the fruit off the stalks. This seems to be the primary imagery behind this figurative expression. And I would mention as well that the word branches that's used here when he says he'll take hold of the branches is probably referring to these clusters, which could also be called branches, these date clusters that were part of the tree, which themselves refer to the breasts of the bride, as we're told. So what you have here is the picture of a man embracing his bride to make love to her. It is an embrace that enhances their love. It is an embrace which there, in which there is a mutual joy and delight between them, a communion both of giving and receiving. 
Now, what is the analogy here with, between this, with us and our Lord Jesus Christ, if we're the bride of Christ? What is this saying about our relationship with Christ in the analogy? This is showing us that as we grow in grace, Christ will come to us to embrace us, to manifest more and more of his love to us. And he's assuring us, I'm going to do this. You see, this is how it is for the Christian. As time goes on in your walk with Christ, you grow in holiness and in likeness, in the likeness of Jesus himself. You learn to love, to forgive, to show mercy, to serve, to obey when it is hard, to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, to pour out your life for others, to be honest, to be an ardent worshiper, to maintain purity and chastity in your life, to care for those under you and to honor those over you in authority. You grow, and as you grow, you learn more and more of him. And as you learn more and more of him, you love him more and more. You delight in him. His spirit works in you to open his word to you so that you understand who he is through his word. That's how we learn of him. And you learn how much Christ delights in his people and in his church. All of these things are are what proceeds. As a faithful husband shows his love to his wife more and more and his delight in her, then so our Lord Jesus shows, manifests his love to us more and more and more as we grow on in the Christian life. Notice how he says, I said I will go up. What's with those words, I said? Why are they added? Well, this shows that it's a very definite thing, something that he's determined and purposed to do, not that he might do, something that he's going to do. He he. He has seen how desirable we are. He has seen our love for him that makes us ready and desirous to give ourselves wholly to him. And he says, I will do it. I will go up the palm tree and I will take hold of the branches. I'm going to embrace my palm tree. He is showing his resolution to embrace us in his love. He assures us that he will do this. But why? Why do we need this assurance? So that we will be certain that he will come and that he will come often. He's promising to have regular interaction with us in this way so that we will expect him to come and so that we will look for him to come and so that we will prepare for him to come. We need to prepare when we're we're reading the word, when we're praying. We look to God to, to bless us and to meet with us and to manifest his love to us. That we might have this, this engagement with him. Him showing his love to us, embracing us, and us loving him. That's what should make up our worship as his people. What is the outcome when a husband lovingly and sweetly embraces his wife in marital affection? Well, it causes his wife to grow more and more. She grows more and more in ways that please her husband. It gives her, of course, we're talking about good marriages here. It gives her great comfort and assurance in his love. It gives her security and pleasure. And she wants more and more and more and more to be pleasing to him because she loves him. It causes us to flourish. And it causes her to flourish in her relationship with him. So it is in our relationship with Jesus. As our fruit grows, he comes to enjoy our fruit. When we meet with him, there's an enjoyment there on his part in our growth and our progress. 
But his coming also causes our fruit to grow more. So there's the enjoying of the fruit and there's the pollination that bringing forth more fruit. His enjoyment and approval of our fruit when he manifests his love to us makes us want to produce more fruit for him. And even the idea of bringing forth spiritual children we could mention here. His delight in our love causes us to love him even more. This is what we read in John 15. That as we abide in him and his word abides in us, we bear much fruit. And as we bear much fruit, he delights in the fruit. And then he comes to us and he blesses us and manifests himself to us. And then we bear more fruit and it keeps on going. That's how relationships grow. There's an ever building, building, building. This then brings us to our third point. Okay, we grow through union with him. This brings us to our third point. In the rest of verse 8 and verse 9, he pronounces a threefold blessing on us for the time that we are in his embrace. Okay, when he comes, if we could say spiritually speaking, when he comes to make love to us, okay, then he says, I'm going to bless that time. I'm going to bless those times, if you will. He puts a blessing on us. You know how you, we pronounce a blessing and say, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. That sort of thing. Putting a blessing, putting God's name on his people. So this, seeing his delight in us, okay, as we see that and we see his plans to embrace us in his love that we just saw. I'm going to go up my palm tree. I'm going to do this. What more do we want than to be pleasing to him when that happens? When he comes to us as his bride, we want to please him. He is such an excellent husband that we want to please him. He's, he's taken us as his bride. He has been so gracious to us, so tender and kind. He is so wonderfully accepting of us that, that our heart as his bride is warmed toward him. Not cold, but warm. Our prayer is that always in every way we would be pleasing to him. And when he comes to embrace us in love... We want to please him then. What a great privilege it is to have a husband like him who takes hold of his palm tree. But let us never forget that we, the bride, are not the only one that wants to be pleasing to him. Do you know who else wants us to be pleasing to him? As our husband, he wants us to be pleasing to him. And that's good news because if he wants it, he's going to see that it happens. He wants us to be all that he ever created us to be. And as we saw in Ezekiel, he found us in our defilement, but he washed us and nourished us that he might find delight in us and make us glad in his love. The goal is that we would find joy in what he at first created us to be and to find joy in what he first created us to find joy in. And what was that? In worshiping God. In worshiping him as our savior, now as our savior. He was our creator, um, now he's our creator and our savior. In adoring him, in serving him, in loving him, in pleasing him. We're to delight in our relationship with our God and our maker. The way that a wife would delight in her husband in a good relationship. This being so, he pronounces a threefold blessing on our trysting with him. Again, on the spiritual equivalent of making love. The first blessing is that our breasts will be like the clusters on the vine. 
The New King James translates it this way. The, one, the version that I read. Let now your breasts be like the clusters of the vine. Now, when we have this, let now your, bless, your breasts be, okay, that's the form of a blessing. Okay, let this be so. This could be also translated as a future. It could be your breast will be like clusters of the vine, which is, of course, a very encouraging thing, too. This is what's going to happen as you engage with me in this way. It's going to be it's going to be good. It's going to be a blessing. But I think that the, the translators have done a well here to translate this as a blessing. And let me say that all three of these statements are blessings. They all go together grammatically. So if the first one's a blessing, let now this be, then the other ones also follow that formula. And also let this be, and also let this be. So I hope that's clear. I'll explain it again when we move on and get to the third one, just to make sure. But in other words, let's talk about this first one. Let now your breasts be like the clusters of the vine. He is blessing us with the grace that we need to give our love to him. Now let's think about this. Last week, we noted that both her husband and her children desire her breasts and that she responds rightly by freely giving them to both her husband and her children. She gives her breasts to her husband as a way of welcoming him when he comes to love her, of surrendering to him, of receiving him. And she gives her breasts to her children to nourish them, to provide them with the food that they need. Now, by saying to us as his bride, let now your breast be like the clusters of the vine, he is blessing us that we might be enabled to freely give ourselves to him. This is not always so easy for us to do, is it? You remember what we saw earlier with the bride, how he came and knocked on the door and she was in bed and, oh, I don't want to get up and open the door to you. I don't want to have to get my robe on. I don't want to have, I've already taken it off. How can I put it on again? I don't want to get my feet dirty. If we are his, it's something that we desire to do. We know it's good for us to do. But like Paul, we have to confess that the good that I want to do, I do not do. But the evil that I hate, that I do. So we end up, instead of giving ourselves warmly and, and, and freely to him, holding ourselves off from the Lord. We have different issues. You know, I'm tired. You know, whatever it is, we don't come uh, in the way that we should. So he's. So, so what an encouragement it is for him to say, I'm going to bless you in this way so that you will freely give yourself to me when I come to you. The Son of God blesses us so that we're able to lovingly, joyfully surrender ourselves to him. We know that whenever we do, then we will both be glad. He will be glad and we will be glad. And when we don't, it won't be so well. The second blessing he pronounces on us is that the fragrance of our breath would be like apples. The point here is that everything about us would be as a sweet savor to him. The Bible talks about savors a lot like that smells. He who breathed into us the breath of life. Of course, Jesus is the one that created us, made everything. He breathed into us the breath of life. He desires that our life 
would breathe only what is lovely. In other words, that the savor that comes out of our life, the savor of our life, our very breath, would be a lovely, a, a lovely savior. Sin makes us stink and grace makes us fragrant. That's the difference. Paul talks about believers being a savor of the gospel, a savor of life unto life to those that are being saved and a savor of death unto death to those that are perishing. But here in the song, when we speak about being in the intimate embrace of Christ, it perhaps speaks especially of the savor of our breath in our worship, that our worship would be as a sweet savor to him. We want the incense of our prayers to be a sweet savor. See, in the Old Testament, they had the sacrifices to, to uh, and they would offer incense up to God representing prayers. Now we have Jesus interceding for us. We don't do the incense thing anymore. We don't have carnal worship. We have spiritual worship. We come before him and we desire for our prayers to be uh, acceptable to God. And our praises to be sweet like apples or apricots, as some would say, is the fruit that's in view here. It's only the blessing of Christ working in us by his spirit that makes our worship sweet. We can be confident again and encouraged because he says he blesses us. Let your breath be sweet. Or if you want it the other way, that it will be sweet. He's going to work in us so that it will be. Okay, it could go either one of these. The third blessing that he pronounces on us when he draws near is upon our palate. In verse 9, he says, and let the roof of your mouth be like the best wine. Note that to bring out the context again, when I, when I read that just now, I didn't read it just as it is in the New King James in, in verse 9. I have added the word let and the word be. And that's because I was what I was talking about before. This is warranted because all three statements are tied in with verse 8, where he says, let your breast now be, be like. And then the um, implication is, therefore, let your breath be like. And in verse 9, in our present verse here, let the roof of your mouth be like. Okay, so what is the roof? The roof of the mouth speaks of kisses. That's very consistent through the book of uh, the Song of Solomon. As his bride, very early in the song, what did she say? That she sang, in the song, she spoke of his kisses that are what? Same thing as compared to, better than wine. Well, what is this saying? That the kisses are like the best wine. Well, that's really the same thing, isn't it? Wine that is better than wine is the best wine. And, wine, and something that is better than wine is better than wine. So uh, it, it's a very similar thing, isn't it? Kisses, as I have mentioned before, are what? When we talk about them spiritually. What, what do we do when we kiss someone? It's supposed to be an expression of our love, isn't it? So it's the, the manifestation of his love toward us and the manifestation of our love or the expression of our love toward him. So asking for the Lord's kisses is to ask him to manifest his great love toward us. And we desire that as his bride. We want to be reassured of his love. While his request for our kisses is a request for us to express our love to him. Just as we want him to express his love to us, so he wants us to express our love to him. And he blesses us. That's what this is about. He blesses us that we may kiss him with kisses that are like the best wine. Not the cheap wine kind, but the best wine kind. 
Compare this with the first of these three blessings, the blessing that was on our breasts. The blessing that was placed on our breasts is a blessing that makes us able to what? Did we say? To give ourselves to him. The blessing on our palate is the blessing that enables us to express our love to him. Kisses refer to the more active expression of our love toward him. We need both. We need both to receive him when he comes to us to show his love to us, to give ourselves wholly to him. We also need to to actively express our love and commitment to him. So here by the blessing of our palate, he blesses us so that we will be able to express our love to him better. Now, how wonderful is that? Don't you want that? I mean, do you, do you feel that you can express your love to God as well as you would like? Do you feel that the kisses are what they should be? Of course not. By his spirit, he causes appropriate love to well up from within us and to flow out to him in a beautiful expression, a spiritual kiss, as it were. Now, it's difficult to tell who is speaking for the rest of this verse and also difficult to tell exactly what the meaning is. But the general idea is clear enough. The desire, whether it be his or ours as his bride, is that our kisses would be like, as it says, excellent wine that goes down smoothly and produces a good effect. It, if it is, as the New King James translates, that the effect of this wine, these kisses, is that it moves gently the lips of sleepers, then it would seem to be, if that's the way it should be translated, and I think it probably is, then it would seem to be that our kisses arouse him and get him to speak to us the way that wine will stimulate someone who doesn't have a lot to say to be able to speak. Sluggish lips, it releases to to speak. In other words, our expression of our love to him when he embraces us stirs him up to do what? To manifest his love to us. Isn't that the way kisses work? When we, if, if you kiss someone and then they are kissing you, of course, then it stirs up the manifestation of your love to each other back and forth. That's the kind of thing that we were talking about here. Now, the major alternative translation would be the one in the margin of the King James, New King James there. That it would simply be that the kisses are received like fine wine that, that glides across the lips and the tongue, or, or lips and the teeth, sorry, and uh, goes down, you know, the, the expression of our love to him is well received by him, which of course we desire. We want it to be blessed so that it's well received by him. But I think the first translation is better in the context that our kiss stimulates a, a, a deeper kiss from him. So in any case, we, the bride, respond to all that he has said to us in this chapter so far in verse 10 with these words. Okay, we come to the conclusion here. I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. So we look at all that has been said, all that he has said about us in those first five verses, praising different qualities that we have as his bride, qualities that he's given us. And then we see his his great desire for us, his desire to embrace us, his desire to uh, to 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 come to us and and, and to kiss us and so on. We we see all these things and we say, I am my beloved's and his desire is toward me. 
Now, she follows this. If you look down the page and even into the next chapter, she follows this with a warm invitation to him that continues okay, on into the next chapter. An invitation to him that he would do what he said he would do and embrace her in love. She says, come and do it. You know, we'll look at that next week. But this week, we'll look at her or our delight in what his words have shown us plainly. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. What could be more, more wonderful than this? Think about it. We who are cut off from him because of our sin now belong to him. That's the first part of that verse. As his bride, we may say, I am my beloved's. He has taken us by covenant to be his wife forever. We belong to him. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will always be a faithful husband to us, a friend and a companion. He will always visit us to embrace us. He will protect us. He will provide for us. He will give us an inheritance in his house because we are his bride. He will teach us to live according to the beautiful ways of his family. We will there in his house behold the love that he has had with the Father from before the foundation of the world and with the Holy Spirit from eternity. And we will be those who as his wife and his God's sons and daughters participate in the love of that household. Yes, by his blessing, we will do so. We couldn't do that without his blessing, but he promises that he's going to bless us and and we will be able to grow into the fullness of the appropriate love that is in that household. And we will grow more and more toward that even now. Yes, it's just the beginnings here in this world. We're looking for glory when he appears and all this is brought to perfection. But in the meantime, we're growing toward that. It's referred to as a down payment of the spirit. The first fruits of the spirit in this life is he's given us the spirit to begin that work in us. And we cherish that and he cherishes it. He delights in it as he sees that that progress and that growth. Where did it come from? It came from his cross. It came from his work, from his saving work. The same power that raised him from the dead is what produces that new life in us so that we abide in him. And what do we do? We bring forth much fruit. That's not all that is wonderful. That we belong to him has been expressed before in the psalm and it should be expressed again and again. We should always talk about that. You know, he's my God. He says, I'm your God, you're my people. That's the foundation of the covenant. But now after hearing what he has said in this section, then we say a new thing here. I'm my beloved, that's the first thing, and his desire is toward me. That he desires us was brought out with great strength in all that he said. You know, those first five verses from head to foot, and then declaring what we have seen today, his desire to embrace us with his love, his desire to embrace us because he finds us attractive and pleasing. Seeing our readiness to receive his love, he expresses his strong desire to, um, to, 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 to be with us. His, he, he expresses his strong desire and his commitment to give us his love and to bless us so that we will be more and more pleasing to him because of his embrace. In other words, he will do the spiritual equivalent of regularly making love to us the way a husband makes love to his wife. He will climb his tree and he will embrace us and we will find great joy and delight 
When he does so, it will be a sweet and enriching experience for us that we will grow more and more in our love for him and our understanding of his love for us. That's our hope, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ. Please stand and let's give thanks to the Lord. Oh, Lord, our God, how we praise you and thank you that you who are our creator have now become our redeemer. How could it be that you would do this, Lord, when we sinned against you, when we rebelled against you, when we who had no reason to rebel against you decided that we would be the Lord instead of you, that we would decide what was good and what was evil, what was right and what was wrong. We took it upon ourselves to be like God in the very way that we were not supposed to be like you. We wanted to be in authority as only you are in authority, to be the sovereign one. And we are not. We are the creatures. We're supposed to be like you in reflecting your love and your justice and your mercy, your goodness, your um, wisdom. We're to be a reflection of your glory. But we're not to be the one who decides what is to be done and what is not to be done. Oh, Father, have mercy upon us because we're all guilty of, of sinning against you and being part of this sinful human race that we're, we're all culpable. But, Father, we praise you and thank you that in your great mercy that you came to redeem sinners. And it took a radical action on your part. Nothing short of your very own son coming and dying for our sins, bearing our punishment on the cross, bearing the shame and guilt of our sin. And we praise you that he has done this in order that we might be pardoned and that we might become his own bride. He purchased us out of our sin and corruption and ruin in order to give us an eternal inheritance in his house with his father. And we thank you, O Lord, for what you have done, for the work that you have accomplished and completed. And we praise you that now you are at work in us, your bride, in order to shape us and to prepare us for that day when we're presented to you at the last day when Jesus comes in all of his glory. And we are presented to you as a, a bride without spot or blemish. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing now. And that by the working of the Spirit, we can see the beginnings of that fruit that we will have for all eternity. We know that this is something that is extremely precious. It's more precious than anything on the earth. If we have life in the Spirit through Jesus Christ, then we have something that is eternal something that can never be taken away from us and something that will only grow and that will become full and complete when you have finished your work in us. Father, thank you that you bless our, that you, Lord Jesus, bless the, the, the when, when you come to embrace us, that you bless that. When we come to worship you, when we come to receive the manifestation of your love and when we express our love to you, that you have put a blessing on that so that that will be a time that, that is fruitful, a time that is effective, that, that we're able, Lord, to, to bring kisses to you that are, that are a true and right expression of love to you and that we're able to yield ourselves to you, to give you our breasts, as it were, and we're able to bring forth a savor that is pleasing to you, Lord, that our breath would be a, a pleasing savor like apples. Father, thank you 
for the way that you work in our lives and the things that you have promised to us. Help us, Lord, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in your fear all the days of our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated and we'll go to the Lord's table now. Very very good time for us to come to the Lord's table after hearing of, of the work of our God. Among us is his people. How good it has been to see our Lord's desire for us as it is revealed in the Song of Solomon is something that we too often don't even recognize is the delight that he has in us. Though we still have much sin and stand only by his righteousness that's imputed to us, he has been busy transforming us into his likeness and how he delights to be with us more and more as we are renewed in him. The more we grow, the more we love him and the more he wants to be with us. And the sweeter is that union with him that we have when we meet with him. He desires to meet with us to tell us of his love and so that we can express our love to him. And of course, one of the times when he especially meets with us is when we come to worship him at church. And one of the times that he especially meets with us when we come to worship at church is when we come to the Lord's table. You see, it is here that he sets before us afresh what he did to take away our sins. He sets before us afresh what he, how he shed his blood for our sins. His body, represented by the bread, broken for us. His blood, represented by the wine, shed for the remission of our sins. He manifests his love for us here by setting these before us and declaring what he has done. The more we grow, the more that it means to us what, what he has done. In other words, as, as we begin to see, have a greater appreciation for the cross and what Jesus Christ has accomplished. He loves to see our love and to see it grow, and he loves to reveal his love to us at this table. That's what happens here. We, we love him. He loves us. He doesn't so much then show us new things here, but he causes us to grow in our understanding of what he has already done. We don't need another gospel to add on to the gospel that we already have. We need a fuller and richer appreciation for what we already have. In Luke, we have record of how he expressed his special desire to meet with us at this table. Okay, it's a place that he wants to meet with us. Luke records this in Luke twenty-two fourteen, beginning with the words, when the hour had come. And one of the things to know about the gospel of Luke particularly is when he says this, when the hour had come, talking about when Jesus sat down with his disciples and instituted the Lord's Supper. Before that, it says when the day had fully come. Before that, it says when the week had come. So there's this, this anticipation, this building up to this hour when he sat down with his disciples. When the hour had come, he sat down in the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will 
longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. With fervent desire, I have desired. He wanted to meet with us, to tell us of his love, to tell us of what he was going to do, and for us then to respond in love to him, to receive his love and to love him. Judas didn't receive his love, did he? He says a 12 were here. Judas didn't receive his love, but we are to give ourselves to him and to respond to him. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So, Christian, do you see his love here? Not only what is obviously displayed at the Lord's table, that his body was broken and his blood was shed, but also in his desire to tell us afresh of his love and for us to respond to him in that love. This is something that happens at this table that makes him desire to do it. His desire to meet with you here and to tell you about and to see your response to his love. If you're a communicant member of a faithful church who is not under discipline, then you're welcome to come to the table. However, if you're living in rebellion against God, even if you are a communicant member and you've not repented yet, maybe people don't know that you're in rebellion, then you should not come until you do repent. But if you are walking with Christ and if you're seeking to grow, then come to the table delighting in him and what he did and telling him how much you love him. He loves you. You love him. Look to see his love afresh here. Ask him to bless you so that you will give yourself, give your breasts, as it were, freely to him so that your whole life will be a savor, a sweet savor to him. Your breath, your breath of life will be a sweet savor to him like apples and so that you will learn to express your love to him better. The, the kisses, you look to him, we look to him. We're meeting with him to have this exchange of love and to be blessed by it. That the, the time together will be a blessing to him and to us. So let's pray and, and ask him for this. Our Lord and our God, we come before you and we ask you as we come to this table that you would meet with us here, Lord that you would come and that you would lay hold of us, Lord, like your palm tree, and that you would manifest your love to us. Father, we know that we can say the words about what you've done and we can set it before us and have it presented to us and all of these things. But Father, for us to, to really see this, we need to have your spirit work in us as we come to this table. We come in the name of Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed, Asking you, O Lord, to work in us. May we see how great the love of Christ is that even while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. That when we were polluted and defiled and like we read in Ezekiel, in our blood and uncared for and unclean, 
that you came to us and you said live. And in order to make that a possibility, you went to the cross in order to make it something that you could do to give us life. And we praise you, O Lord, that that you have done it and now we are alive. And so we come to you as those who are alive, wanting to grow, wanting to experience our walk with you, wanting to commune with you. Father, whether it be at the table or whether it be in singing praises to you or whether it be in hearing your word or at home in our prayer closet or wherever we are reading your word, we pray, Lord, that that these times when we meet with you, that you would make yourself known to us more fully and that we would respond to you with love. Father, thank you for all that you have done. Please, Lord, visit with us here. Visit us here. We also pray, Lord, that with thanksgiving for the salvation that we have received so freely from your hand that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with you that has brought us in fact into this relationship in which we stand. We praise you for all that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may eat and drink as soon as the tray is passed to you, and then we'll give thanks for what we have received. So according to the holy institution, command, and example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I take this bread, and having blessed it, break it and give it to you. Receive now the blessing of the Lord. Now may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ grant you according to the riches of his glory that you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.